All right, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord God, uh, we thank you for the, uh, the hope that is contained within that song, uh, that Jesus calls us um, in, our, in our suffering, in our uh, sorrow, in our worries, in our fears, uh, to come to him, that he uh, is our strength and our comfort and our hope, our life, our joy, uh, and thank you, Lord, that uh, for that uh, the wonderful final verse there, Lord, that uh, we know that uh, He will come to us. Indeed, He has come, and He will come again, uh, and He is still with us today, Lord, through His Spirit within us. So, Lord, we pray that uh, as we uh, turn to Your Scriptures this morning, that You would uh, once again reveal Christ to us, uh, that You would. Uh, elevate him um, in our minds and uh, and show us once again the hope and the joy and the peace that is found in him. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this uh, this passage this morning. Um, presents us, uh, I guess, with some things that our, our culture finds quite, quite difficult to deal with. Uh, chronic illness and, and death. Um, we, th- these are facts of life, but our culture is, is much, it has a lot of difficulty with dealing with those sorts of things. Uh, uh, I'm a um, for those of you who aren't aware, I sort of work in a healthcare um, uh, sphere, um, and within the within the health industry, there's occasionally people will will mention this sort of thing, where our health system is designed to help people uh, get better. Th- those who will get sick quickly and get better quickly are, are going to be helped the best, um, but the people who Aren't getting sick, uh, aren't getting better quickly, or the the dying. Our culture and our our healthcare system has trouble uh, knowing how to deal with them well. But I don't think it's just the healthcare system. I think uh, even even day to day, as as um, just individuals, we have trouble knowing what to say um, if someone isn't getting better. You know, if someone's sick, we say, "Oh, I hope you get well soon." Well, what if they don't? Um, what, if, what if they will never get better? Well, what do we do with that? Um, even as Christians, what, what do we do when, uh, when someone uh, isn't uh, getting better? When we pray for someone to get well um, and they don't, what do we do? Do we just pray that they'll cope with it? Or, or what, what tangible hope, what biblical hope do we have to give these people? Because the Bible does have hope in these situations. Um, this, this passage uh, presents us with these issues and it also provides us with hope. Uh, it moves, um, our, our three points this morning, moves from crisis uh, through to uh, hope in Jesus. Uh, 
Uh, so we do have three, three points this morning. Our first point is in crisis. In crisis, uh, there is great compassion, and we see that uh, in verses 32 and 33, in verses 36 to 39. In crisis, there is great compassion. Uh, look with me again at verses 32 and 33. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, there he found a, name, sorry, a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralysed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make... Oh, sorry. Uh, I went too far. Um, I wanted to read up to where he was paralysed. So um, here is the first of two crises this morning. The first crisis, this man named Aeneas paralysed, unable to get out of bed for eight years. Uh, Many of us don't think too hard about getting out of bed in the morning. Um, Some days it's a struggle for some more than others and some days more than others, Uh, but most of us are able to get up each day. We're, We're physically capable of waking up, lifting our heads off the pillows, uh, swinging our feet around and standing up. And being that way personally, I struggle to imagine what it would be like to not be able to do that for eight years. Unable to leave your bed, unable to move, reliant on others to wash you and, and feed you, to tend to, you, to others to tend to your bed sores, others to move you to a different position or a different room. Uh, of course, Inez didn't have access to a wheelchair. Uh, he had no motorised hospital beds or, or, or anything like that. Aeneas was bedridden, and that meant he was stuck in his bed for eight whole years. Uh, later on, we're introduced to uh, Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, verse, verses 36 uh, to 39. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. In both of these stories, Luke gives us plenty of details which draw us into their world. In Dorcas's case, we're told her name in Aramaic and in Greek. Uh, we're told about her character. Uh, we're given an extensive account of how the church responded to her death, how they washed her, uh, put her in this upper room, and how they sent for Peter. Um, not really sure why they sent for Peter necessarily. There's no indication in the text. Maybe they were expecting her to raise her, but probably not. Probably more likely they expected him uh, to preside over her funeral, um, which is then what we see. The widow's... Um, standing there, mourning the loss of their friend. The grief of the church, heartbroken at at, uh, this great woman of faith who lost her life to terminal illness. 
the loss of these widows uh, who, who were wearing and, and holding in their hands the physical evidence of Dorcas's kindness. I think as we read these stories, our, our eyes are, tend to be drawn to the miracles. There's sort of the flashy climaxes. And we will get to those in a moment, obviously. But I think it's worth noting how in each of these stories, Luke spends a whole lot more time building up, drawing us in, introducing this scenario compared to how he resolves it. Luke, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to slow down. He wants us to draw in, to sit here for a while with the suffering, with the suffering Aeneas and the grieving uh, Joppan church. He wants us to feel a sense of, of sympathy, of empathy, compassion for the suffering and the sorrowful. And he wants us to do that, I believe, because that is what God feels, what Jesus feels uh, in a small degree we can understand as we, as we slow down and, and sit with these people. We see throughout the Gospels the compassion of Jesus on those who are hurting. Matthew 9.36, uh, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Uh, Matthew 14, 14, when he, saw, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Uh, Luke 17, when Jesus came on the, on the uh, funeral of a widow's son, uh, it says, the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Jesus' heart is moved with compassion towards the hurting. He empathises because he has experienced that suffering and temptation too. He came to earth uh, and experienced all manner of temptations uh, and consequences of human sin uh, so that, as it says in Hebrews, he is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. And we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, I'm sure you will know and have seen how children find comfort in the embrace of their parents. There's nothing more comforting for a child than to be held by their parent who loves them. Indeed, even as adults, really, there's, there's what greater comfort is there uh, than to Im- be embraced and, and held and, and empathised by someone who loves you. And if you are are suffering, if you are are going through um, chronic illness or or grief or uh, all manner of other uh, difficulties, Jesus offers you that same comfort. In crisis, there is compassion and it is found in Jesus. Uh, And, of course, we are called to to show that compassion as well in our own day-to-day lives. Um, but as we do that, we draw people to Jesus who, who welcomes and, and sympathises and stays with the hurting.
Now, of course, Jesus is not just a teddy bear. He's not just there to hold you and and give you comfort. Uh, He has the power to do something about it. And that's our second point. In Jesus, there is great power. Uh, Here we go, the the good bit, the healing bit, the climax of the story. Uh, Verse 34, And Peter said to Aeneas, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. <clears throat> I think it's, uh, it's often right that we talk about miracles as acts of power. Now, this is not some uh, one in a million chance that he might have had it getting better. It, this is not some sort of slight or incremental improvement. This is a, a supernatural act of power. Dramatic, sudden, unmistakable this, this act here, this healing miracle, upended the normal, natural course of reality for a second. Jesus Christ heals you and immediately he rose. Um, similar in, in uh, Dorcas's healing. Uh, they took him to an upper room and uh, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. As I said, in Jesus, we find great power. And remember, this is in Jesus. The power is Jesus, of course. Uh, Peter makes that explicit in each case, right? He told Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Uh, he prayed before, Dorcas, before raising Dorcas, showing that it wasn't his power that he was trusting in, but the Lord's. Um, more subtly, we see that it's Jesus' power because of uh, how the miracles played out. We, it, Luke is deliberately uh, reminding us of, pa- uh, uh, of miracles that Jesus perf- himself performed. Uh, Aeneas' healing, uh, if you think back to the paralytic who was lowered through the roof... Uh, before Jesus. Uh, just like Peter did Aeneas, uh, Jesus told that man, uh, rise up and walk and take your mat and go. Uh, Dorcas's healing also points us to when Jesus uh, raised, the daughter of, raised the daughter of Jairus. Uh, in that story, Jesus put the mourners out of the, the room. Uh, he addressed the daughter in, in Aramaic, calling her Talitha, uh, which meant little girl, but it's quite notable that that's only one letter different from Tabitha's name. Uh, then he told her to rise, gave her his hand, and raised her from the bed. These parallels uh, Luke is using to emphasise this is the work of Christ. Uh, we've said throughout our, our studies in Acts last year uh, that it's best seen not as, uh, as the acts of the apostles, as it's often called, but the acts of the risen Lord Jesus through his, prophet, through his apostles by the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' power at work. Uh, and so we might say Jesus is working powerfully in the world, working powerfully uh, from his heavenly throne through his Holy Spirit. But that begs a question then, doesn't it? If he's working powerfully, what should we 
should we expect to see him doing? Uh, should we hope for, for these same sort of miraculous healings and resurrections of our own? What is the hope that this passage is driving us towards? Uh, well, this leads us to our third and final point. Um, and I want to start by identifying the hope that this passage is driving us towards. So I want to read through the passage again. And I want you to notice there's a repeated word there. A key word repeated five times. Uh, okay, let's read through again. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This repeated word here, to rise. Peter told Aeneas to rise, and he rose. Peter rose to go to Lydda, where he called Tabitha to rise, and raised her up. I think it's no accident that Luke repeats this word throughout this passage. Because this is a a really theologically rich word uh, within the context of the New Testament. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this same word is used, of course, to speak of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, Even previously in Acts, back in chapter 2, Peter preached, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Uh, In chapter 3, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Uh, Chapter 4, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Uh, And chapter 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Uh, Here in chapter 9, Luke is using this same word again, Uh, repeating it over and over so that we would remember back to this resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And we would see that these miracles, this healing and this resurrection miracle are entirely grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, That resurrection of Jesus is inseparably linked to the hope of of the resurrection that we have ourselves through Jesus. 
Uh, and so these miracles are, are pointing us to the hope of the, the end of the ages when Jesus will return and raise us up to eternal life with him. That is the Christian hope. If you take that away, these miracles are, are, are pretty pointless. Uh, they have no lasting significance, no lasting hope. Because both Aeneas and Dorcas, they would have died later on, just as we all will. These miracles only postponed their eventual death. But Jesus' resurrection gives us hope that they and we will be raised from the dead when Jesus returns, and after that we will never die. We will never experience sickness or pain or sin. That is the great healing, the great resurrection that these miracles point towards. Uh, Just as we read in Isaiah 25, uh, the great feast that God has in store uh, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a a rich food full of marrow, well-aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. These miracles are, are an entree for that meal, a, a foretaste, a little, a little sample to whet our appetite to what is to come. Uh, as we sang before, unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord and sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope, this hope found in Jesus' resurrection, this hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. With that in mind, uh, look with me in verses 35 and 42 at what the result of these miracles is. Uh, Verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, that is, Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. Uh, And verse 42, and Dorcas' resurrection became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Uh, Now Luke includes these to, to point us to what he expects of us as well. Uh, To believe in Jesus, based on what we've read today. This is the, the right and reasonable response. That's why Luke, Luke sort of, that's the sort of rhetorical effect of what Luke says, that everyone turned to the Lord. That is, that is the reasonable thing to do uh, if we see the power and the compassion and the resurrection of Jesus. We are called to turn to him as Lord, to believe in him. Luke wants you, Jesus wants you to turn, to recognize and acknowledge that he is Lord, that he has the power and the authority to command your life and to believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe that his resurrection is is the truth and uh, find all your hope in life and death in him. If 
you are someone who uh, acknowledges Jesus as Lord and believes in him, uh, believes in his resurrection, you will be raised from the dead to eternal blissful life with him, raised just as he was. Free from the corrupting power of your sin, free from pain uh, and suffering and grief of sickness and death. Uh, If you don't believe, you will also be raised, but you will be raised uh, to a judgment, uh, banished to eternal misery uh, because of your stubborn refusal to acknowledge the surpassing beauty and worth of Christ. We are called to come and believe because we see and recognise how beautifully, irresistibly attractive the compassion and power of the resurrected Jesus is. Whether we... uh, uh, We come to Jesus simply because he is worth it simply because his compassion and his power and his resurrection and everything else about him are so beautiful and glorious that we simply want him. Now, does that mean we shouldn't hope or expect or or pray for uh, miraculous healings? Absolutely not. Of course we should do that. Of course we should have compassion on on the suffering and pray that God would heal them. But whether or not he does is not a reflection on us, it's not a reflection on him. Because our hope is not found in healings and resurrections in this life, but in the life, the the great healing, the great resurrection at the end of the age. Our desire is Jesus, Our, our source of compassion and power is him. Our hope is that we will be with Jesus forever. Uh, Let me uh, wrap this up and tie it all together. Um, I started out by saying how the Bible has hope for those who are sick, for those who who don't seem to be getting any better, for those who have no hope of a cure, for those who are facing death and those who are grieving over the dead or dying. And here is that hope. Because of Jesus' resurrection, you can trust that he cares about your suffering and he will save you from it. He may heal you in this life, but the salvation that I speak of there is ultimately found in the end of the age. If you believe in him, when he will raise you from the dead and welcome you into his embrace forever. We have that as a certain hope because we know that God has raised Christ from the dead just as he will raise us. Now let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the, the certainty of the hope that we have in you. The, the fact that this hope uh, continues whether or whatever happens to us in this life, whether living or dead, our hope in life and death is that you that we belong to you, that we are are held by you, that we uh, will experience your same resurrection at your command. 
So we pray, Lord, that you would come quickly uh, and and, uh, bring this great hope that we have to fulfilment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.